This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. The Modern Architect features one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. Our show informs and illuminates the transformation that architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. And now, introducing the host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. Today, we are joined by Richard Petri. Richard is uh, the world's leading architect marketing coach. His client success, together with Richard's uh, connecting with Eric Bobrov to form the uh, Architect Marketing Institute, took him onto a much more focused past. Nowadays, most of his time is spent solely on helping architects win better projects. Richard's married with three teenage children and lives in Wellington, New Zealand. For more information, feel free to visit their website at arcmarketing.org. That's A-R-C-H marketing.org. Today's episode is made possible by Modeler, the rapidly growing community for AEC professionals to find and share design inspiration. Created and maintained by architects, join hundreds of thousands of other AEC professionals who are part of the Modeler community. Visit Modeler.com and follow Modeler on your favorite social media channels for regular design inspiration. Hello, Richard. We're really honored and uh, excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, really. Great to be here. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Now, uh, Richard, we talked before we, uh, we started the show is, a quote or a mantra that you have and uh, share it with your audience today. I, I think it's terrific. Mm. Well, well, it goes back to a time when I was actually uh, trying to be a sportsman. I was trying to be a professional cricketer. And I, I'm not sure whether I heard this mantra or I'm not sure whether I thought of it myself. I guess it might, you know, it might be a little grand to claim it myself or, or whether I heard it somewhere. But anyway, the quote is like this, and it's, if you want to be a champion, you need to think like one first. Right, and and it was particularly relevant to me at the time because I was a struggling sportsman who wanted to be a professional sportsman, wanted to be a very good sportsman, and I spent a lot of time wanting to be a really good sportsman. Um, and once I started adopting, I sort of you know once once that quote came into my head from somewhere, um, I started to think as if I was a good sportsman. I, you know, if you're going to be a champion, you've got to think like one first. So I thought I've got to, I've actually got to train myself to think at the level I want to be first, even though my reality is not there, but my thinking can be there. And I guess I've used that as a mantra ever since because I went into sales as well. And once again, sort of a struggling salesman as often people are. And then I, I reminded myself what I did in sport that, that worked so well for me. And that was, you know, my budget was something like, uh, I think it was about $60,000 a month of stuff we had to sell. It was photocopies at the time. And I was struggling away getting, you know, 20, 30, 40 if I was lucky. But then I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to be a champion, I've got to think like one first. Or if I'm going to be a, a big seller, I've got to think like one first. So I set my goal at selling 100000 a month. And then I thought, oh, you know, people do that. So I thought, no, no, I'll go way higher. But I, anyway, basically went on this exercise of training myself to think like a $200,000 a month salesperson. And um, same sort of thing. Once you sort of start resonating and thinking in that level, uh, and it's hard to get started because you don't know where to start, to be perfectly honest. But once you kind of tone yourself to that frequency, a lot of funny things start to happen. So 
it's been a great mantra for me and I've you know it's worked for a lot of other people too yeah I, I love that in in segue that into to architects mm. and how you you know are the world's leading architect marketing um professional and how do you shift that mindset because so much if you just go back to architect school i i think most of them don't even talk about business very much it's uh, just about no, the design yeah. and maybe the process but not the marketing and not the That's business right. Yeah, I think I think you get taught to be an employee at design school, really, don't you? And then it's mm-hmm. you're on your own. Um, well, how does that mantra apply to architects? Definitely applies. Uh, if you're winning, let's say let's 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 rate projects out of ten. If ten is the dream projects, and you're currently well, let me ask a few questions. So, anyone sitting here listening to this, I'll ask you how good an architect are you out of ten? Right, if ten is the best in your area, um, and zero is the worst, where, where would you rate yourself? And let's say someone said I'd rate myself seven and a half. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Next question is, where's your income out of ten? If ten is the top that people are earning in your area, and zero is the bottom, where would you be? And I find a lot of people might say, oh, four. Right. The next question is. Where are the projects that you're winning? If 10 is the dream projects, what sort of projects are you doing? If you're a seven and a half out of 10 architect, what sort of projects are you doing? Now, a lot of people would say, you know, four or five, right? So there's a gap between how good they think they are at least and the projects they're winning. So if you're a seven, eight, nine out of 10 architect and you're doing four or five out of 10 projects, that's very frustrating, right? Now, reality, if you were a logical, reasonable person, you'd go, well, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm winning four or five out of 10 projects. That's, I guess that's the type of architect I am. The answer is no. If you're a good architect and you've got more to give, you need to train yourself to think like an eight out of 10 architect. Well, you are, if your skills are eight out of 10, you need to think like an architect who's winning eight out of 10 projects, right? Someone doing eight out of 10 projects doesn't think like someone doing four out of 10 projects, right? So, and the the one doing, the one who's doing four out of 10 projects thinks, well, I'm doing four out of 10 projects. They're being realistic. But, you know, going back to that mantra, you know, if you're going to be a top player, You've got to think like a top player. So if you want to be doing eight out of 10 projects or nine out of 10 projects, you've got to train yourself to think like an eight or a nine out of 10 architect. And they don't. And this is the thing, like most architects, I find, and I've been doing this for about eight years with architects, are pretty much a beaten up profession. You know, there's there's lots of them being pumped out of school. They're getting screwed on their fees. They're getting screwed by the contractors. Um, Not all the time, but... You know, it's a tough gig being an architect because you have to work so goddamn hard and you're constantly having your fees questioned probably more than any other profession, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, surgeons don't get questioned on their fees. Accountants don't get questioned on their fees. Architects get questioned on their fees constantly, right? It will drive you nuts. And so the general, if I, you know, the general feeling that most architects have, I think, is is that they're kind of beaten down and they're under attack constantly, right? And it's tough. Um, 
And I'm not saying that for any other reason. It's just what I experienced speaking to architects. But anyway, the bottom line is, if you want to win better projects, you've got to start thinking like a, a, a higher end sort of architect. And I thought, how challenging is that to make that shift when someone's come through? It's, it's extreme to say abusive, but it's still being beaten to where you're just used to get almost being on a defensive. Yeah. And how yeah. to shift that to be not so much on an offensive and an aggressive way, but just to have a, a high level of self-esteem. Yes. That's exactly, you're exactly right, Tom. They are on the, you know, I think a lot of people I come across are on the defensive. So there's a couple of things we could talk about. One is thinking about what role are you playing as an architect? What's your, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about roles. We play roles in life, right? You're the role, you're playing the role of the host. If I was interviewing, and I'm the guest, if I, if I was interviewing you, I'd be the host and you'd be the guest. And the way we'd act would be completely differently depending on the role we're playing. Now, in architecture, I think, <laughs> I think the role that a lot of architects take on is I am the humble servant. I am here to please you. You know, architects are pleasers, right? This is one of the reasons I like dealing with them is because they're great people, they're intelligent, they're smart, they're highly conscientious because they want the project to go well and they want to deliver a great result and they want to please their clients. Um, That's great. The problem with being a pleaser is you end up doing a whole lot of things out of scope to get the work done, you end up discounting if you have to, to, to keep the client happy. Um, you end up working nights and weekends to make it work because your name's on the project, right? You, you're, not, you know, you're not just doing it for the client. You, you want the project to be a success for, for yourself as well. But you certainly, anyway, you take on the role of being a pleaser. So the role, I, you know, I call it the humble servant. They're running around, um, you know, often being asked to discount fees, trying to keep everybody happy, pleasing, doing things. If the, if the client's not happy, I'll do it for free. Don't worry, I'll just do it for free. The problem is being the humble servant is it's a really tough way because you're always being beaten up if you're the humble servant. It's like you're the one having to do everything, right? And, okay, so what's the solution? The solution, I think, is you take a different role. You stop playing the role of the humble servant your job's not to be the pleaser and to be, you know, there's another role that an architect could take in a project and that would be something like, and I'm not saying this is the only one, but there's a number of roles you could take on in your head. But a tough love coach is not a bad role to take on for an architect, right? A tough love coach. And so a humble servant would turn up and say, yeah, you know, you want me to do some sketches and you want me to turn up to your site for free and um, you want me to give you design ideas? No problem, I'll do that. You know, I, I'm, I'm here to help. I'll help you out. A tough love coach would say, well, you know, I've got a bit of a process I run through. Here's how I work. And they would say, one, two, three, four. Um, we would, this is how I do it. Um, and if we, you know, this is how I do it. If you want to work with me, this is, the, we do step number one, step number two, step number three. And they would take control. Right, A humble servant will follow the client's process and the, and the client's whims. The problem with following the client's whims is the client doesn't really have a process. Right? Most of them have never done you know, too many projects. 
And so that they'll just drag you down the garden path. But when you take control, which is what I think a lot of clients want, when you say, no, no, that's not how it's done. I work this way. And I work this way for one or two reasons. One, I want the project done really well. I want you really happy. And I want to be happy at the end that we've done a great job. That's why I have this process. One, two, three, four, five. Um, It's to protect you and it's to protect me and it's to make sure we get a great project finished on time and on budget. Now, it may sound slightly bossy to some people, you know, taking on the role of, say, the tough love coach, but clients, most clients love it because they want someone to take control. And if you can't get control in the, in the initial sales process early on, you know, if you're constantly being pushed around by them, they're not going to have much confidence in you to push back at a contract or anyone else as the project's going through. This is terrific. We're talking today with Richard Petri, CEO of the Architect Marketing Institute, the world's leading architect marketing coach. For more information, feel free to visit their website at arcmarketing.org. Again, that's A-R-C-H marketing.org. Richard, has the process gotten easier or have you gotten tougher in working with clients to, to make that adjustment to that, as you say, tough love coach from the humble servant in the last say, uh, year or two? Well, I think I think the, the process is the... What, what, sorry, I don't quite understand the question. Has the process got easier or? Yeah, it's, to shift that mindset, has it gotten right. easier in the last, say, two, two, three years than prior to two or three years of you working with clients? Oh, right, right. Um, to shift the architect's mindset or to, for the architect to shift the client's mindset? Actually, a little bit of both. Well, yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Um, I don't think it's changed from the architect's point of view. They certainly come in a little bit, you know, beaten up, you know, um, a little bit lacking in confidence. And and as you said earlier, on the defensive, I would say that's it. Um, I think it takes, how long does it take to change someone's uh, attitude around that? I, I would say actually about two to three months. You know, I think, I think thinking is a habit. A lot of our thinking, particularly our beliefs and our uh, our beliefs and well, we know it takes 20 to 30 days to change a, a habit, you know, uh, in the way we behave and to ingrain it into our subconscious. And so it seems to me it takes two to three months of listening to this type of talk and I guess reinforcing this approach for people to actually start doing it. I think everybody understands intellectually up front and they go, yeah, I'd much rather you know, tough love coach, they most say, well, that sounds a bit harsh. But but actually, you know, it's your job to deliver the project on time and on budget, right? And someone has to take control. Someone has to be the one who's done it 100 times before, and it's not the client, you know. And that's what I say. The biggest, probably the biggest risk, and bear in mind, I'm not an architect, right? I would be a terrible architect. So everything that I know or have teach now has been based on talking to architects and learning by coaching them. It's it's not from doing it, but I know that I've done enough now that I know that it works when you do this. So it does. It takes a while for this stuff to think in because when you've been on the defensive for 20 years, 
it's kind of hard to suddenly say, now go on to attack. (laughs) (laughs) You're now playing offense. (laughs) Oh, I like that. But it's not a way, not a bad way to think about it because, um, you know, the clients are secretly begging for someone to lead them, right? They won't openly admit it because it might affect their ego, but they do want someone to take control because they know they're not the person to take control. So they do want you to take control. And I think, yeah, you need to take control in the sales process as well and control them. I'll tell you what, the other interesting, funny thing I was going to say was um, often I'll tell the architects, I don't know if they always say this, but saying something like this to the client, you know, if, you, if you're the tough love coach, it's not a bad thing. And it's, it's like, look, we're going to run a project. Well, if I'm going to work this project with you, one of my jobs, you want me to deliver this project on time and on budget, right? And you want a great outcome. Fantastic. Let me tell you one of the things that's probably the biggest risks to this project coming in time, in time and on budget. Would you be interested in hearing that? And they're going to go, of course. And I'm, I'm going to go, the biggest obstacle in any projects, but not mine, <laughs> is you, right? Is you the client? Now, it's not that you're trying to be an obstacle, but you know, you're going to probably want to change your mind and you're going to get nervous and you're going to you know, look to do things in a different way. And it's my job to keep you on track, right? It's my job to guide you through this process. You said you've only done one project before. And so It's my job, once you give me the role of being the architect, it's my job to remove anything or mitigate anything that could be a risk to you getting a great project on time and on budget. And if that happens to be you, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client, then I want your permission up front to to ask you to turn around because I'm going to need to give you a boot in the backside. Do I have your permission? And they'll always say yes. Right? They'll go, yes, that's what I want. I want someone to, you know, if I'm, yeah, absolutely, if I'm taking this thing off track and I'm, I'm slowing it down and I'm too, I want you to let me know. I want you to let me know. I don't mind. They'll say that up front. Sure. They don't always mean it, uh, you know, later on. But, <laughs> but, but you can always then go back to them later on and say, listen, Tom, remember how I talked about um, my, you know, boot in the backside guarantee that if I thought you were putting this project at risk? Yes, Richard, I remember. Well, would you mind turning around and bending over, please, Tom? Because I'm going to have to enact this clause. Right? And they're going to laugh, and they're going to go, all right, all right, what am I doing? And I'm going, listen, I sent you some paperwork a week ago. I said I want, I needed it within two days, or you needed to sign it, get it back. Oh, you know, sorry about that. Sorry about If I send it to you this afternoon, can I avoid the boot in the backside? That will be fine, Tom. Yes. Yeah. But those kind of, that process is not obviously taught in the architect school. No. School <laughs> in the backside. No, no, but that it's, it's vital to the success of everyone. Correct. Correct. It's, it's, it's in the client's best interest. And as soon as you talk like this, they know it too. They know it too. They know that, you know, that they, are, they can be a pain in the backside. This is, a, you know, building a building is an incredibly complex thing, right? It's incredibly complex. There's so many moving parts. There's so many different players that come into play. And someone has to coordinate it all, right? And it's not the client, right? And they know that. And if they're told that up front, if they're told about this type of stuff and how everything has to be coordinated, and if someone's holding us up, 
I have to go and give the contractor a boot in the backside. If it's going to be the interior designer, I have to go and have some tough words with them to because we need this. We need everything happening in a coordinated sequence. It's like an you know, it's like an orchestra, isn't it? I can't have the drummer. I can't wait two seconds for the for the drummer to be ready. I have to go and make sure the drummer's ready. But it's the same with you, the client. You are part of this team, right? We're a team here. There's you, there's me, the contractor, there's everybody else we're going to be dealing with. I'm going to be running it. I'm going to be coordinating it. Is that what you want, right? Of course it is. Um, therefore, I have to have permission to, you know, have tough words if, if we need to have tough words, and that includes you. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect, radio show and podcast at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Richard Petrie, CEO of the Architect Marketing Institute, the world's leading architect marketing coach. For more information, feel free to visit their website at arcmarketing.org. Again, that's arcmarketing.org. Richard, on the, uh, the subject of compensation for architects, Obviously, it's a profession that's just as intense in training as uh, physicians mm. or uh, legal attorneys. The compensation ought to be equal to, and maybe some cases above, and I'm sure I can get some letters and emails for this, but oftentimes architects are even uh, uh, as responsible for the health of people as a physician is because they're the ones creating mm -hmm. the building and the safe building. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, architects are underpaid as a profession, without doubt, uh, for the work they put in. Not only, um, not only in this study. I mean, what is it? Five, six, seven years, and uh, and then and then the work that's required to get a project up and running. Um, I, I one of the more undervalued professions in the world, absolutely. Um, it's interesting when you travel around the world, and we're not doing that much at the moment, but I used to, but you'd go to all the great cities of the world, and what, what defines a great city? The architecture. The architecture, right? of course. Almost invariably. Is, you know, or the food and yeah. the culture of the people, but that's influenced by, typically, the architecture. Correct. You, you know, the, the architecture will attract the people and the food, and the, you, know, you know, Paris, you know, London, New York, um, uh, Venice, um, you know, the great cities of the world are the great cities, mainly, you're right, because of their architecture. I mean, the architects are the superstars, really, of the cities. Um, and if they create a great building, they can actually make that city an iconic city. I mean, you think of what the, you know, we all know the Eiffel Tower and things like that have done for Paris. Everywhere you get, you know, as soon as you arrive in France, yeah, everywhere there's, there's images of the Eiffel Tower. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree. They're an underpaid profession. But part of the problem, it's not just all about uh, clients. We know that clients are going to try and screw them down and all that type of stuff. But what I have found is that you can raise your fees and you can charge higher fees, higher than what you think you can. And a lot of probably the biggest downward pressure, there's always going to be pressure from clients because they're always going to ask for things cheaper. But that doesn't mean they're always going to you know, accept cheap fees or they're always going to have to demand low fees. The biggest pressure comes from the architects, as you said earlier, being on defence and often going and discounting their fee 
themselves because they think erroneously that price is the number one factor. And if they're cheap or cheaper, then they're more likely to win projects. And what I've found is that is not true. And how so? If you're at liberty to share without giving away uh, much uh, intellectual property. No, 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 not at all. Um, Well, I'll tell you one thing, right? Uh, I remember uh, phoning up a lady, Jennifer was her name, and she lived in the California area, and she was looking at applying for one of our programs, and... Yeah, you know, it was. It, it came up pretty early that she thought she couldn't afford it, and that was fine. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just see if I can help her out. So I asked a few questions and how much you're charging and what are you doing. And I said, listen, Jennifer, you know why? Why are you? You know, you charge. I think she was charging ninety dollars an hour or something like that. And she said, oh well, you know, um, um, there's a lot of competition around here. I, you know, um, I'm not as experienced as everyone. She gave me a whole string of excuses. I said, I can give you one tip, Jennifer, and that is put your fees up, right? Put your fees up by at least 50%. I said, I promise you, it'll make no difference at all. You will. She said, oh, but I'd be worried about losing projects. I said, "You, but you're losing projects at the moment at $90 now, right? You're losing projects now. I said, how many projects do you win that you're going for? She said, well, you know, maybe half. I said, if you put your fee up to $150 an hour, you're still going to lose half, right? But the ones you win, you're going to be making some money on it now. And she did. She did She did do that and because I know, because she ended up joining our program later on because she's now making money. And, um, you know, her fees are something like three or 400% higher now. And she said the funny thing is that, the higher she put her fees, the better project she started winning. Right? I mean, it's, I know it's bizarre, and I know everybody's scared to put their fees up, but my advice to everybody, if you're listening to this, I, I promise you, <laughs> I promise you, you can. Yes, you'll still lose projects, but you were losing them before. You know, if you could reduce your fees by 50%, you're still going to lose half the projects that you go for. Right, but 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 when you win projects which are fifty percent higher or one hundred percent higher than what you're charging now, when you start winning those, um, you're going to be a whole lot happier. You're going to start making money from it. So so that's my you know that's I, I guess if people only take one thing away is I, I promise you as as doing this, you can raise your fees. It won't make as much difference as you think it will. Wow, tremendous insight and experience. Richard, is there uh, anything you'd like to share with your audience today that we may not have touched on in your show? Ah, okay. Um, well, okay, one more thing, and it probably goes back to this humble servant thing, but one of the things I teach my guys to do um, is never give away free advice, never give away free sketches, never do free site visits, right? That's all very humble servant. You know, you, you get a lawyer and ask a lawyer to come to your house and give you some advice, right? And say, hey, listen, and if I like the advice, I'll hire you. Like, no chance. You know, you get a, you get a surgeon 
and say to the surgeon, you know, I wonder if you can come and check me out. Um, I've got a, I don't know, I've got a, I've got a, I've had a sore knee for ages, and uh, you know, check it out. Give me some ideas, and if I like what you tell me, <laughs> you know, I might hire you. That you. <laughs> they would think you were absolutely stupid. And you would be because that would be offensive. It would be stupid. It would be everything. They would, and they wouldn't do it, right? So architects, you shouldn't do it either. And, you know, we come back to these, you know, sort of being on defence all the time. You're on defence. You're the humble servant. So architects think I have to run around to do site visits. I have to give ideas. I have to maybe do some sketches on the spot to win a project. You don't. The more you do that, the more they don't need to hire you, right? The more you do, the more information and advice you give away, the less they need you. And the more they think I can take these ideas and just give them to a drafts person and get this done cheap. I've got all the ideas. Of course, as soon as you give them all these good ideas, they're going to think they're their ideas, right? (laughs) It won't take long. The next day it'll be, you know, their idea. And so when they give it to someone else who's cheaper um, or a drafts person or something like that, you know, you've just had your ideas stolen. So you need to charge for all that stuff. Um, and once again, it, it positions you more as a professional. Um, it gets you paid. It, it allows you to qualify, you know, the tyre kickers who never want, all they want is free advice anyway and they're never going to hire you anyway. So it's a chance to get rid of them quickly. Um, that would be the biggest thing, I guess, in eight years of working, you know, this process of not giving away free advice uh, would be one of the biggest things that that we've had that's that's changed uh, big time for, for our clients anyway. Outstanding. Richard, it's been a real honor and a pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much for being here. You're welcome, Tom. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Richard Petri. Richard is CEO and uh, lead, one of the leading architect marketing coaches for Architect Marketing Institute. Nowadays, most of his time is spent solely on helping architects win better projects. Richard's married with three teenage children and lives in Wellington, New Zealand. For more information, feel free to visit their website at arcmarketing.org. Again, that's A-R-C-H marketing.org. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. Today's episode is made possible by Modeler, the rapidly growing community for AEC professionals to find and share design inspiration. Created and maintained by architects, join hundreds of thousands of other AEC professionals who are part of the Modeler community. Visit modeler.com and follow Modeler on your favorite social media channels for regular design inspiration.